no matter what happens, I don't want them to ever feel like I had no idea that this was going to happen. I didn't know that this was coming. This doesn't make sense because so many times we want to tell our children, everything's going to be okay. And none of the situation is okay. You know, it's scary. It's big, you know, for their lives. This is a huge thing that affects them all the time, whether we want to acknowledge that or not. Welcome to the Sick Mom's Guide podcast. If my mom can do it, you can too. Hi, I'm your host, Jen Hardy. I've got seven children, ages 6 to 28, and multiple chronic illnesses. And I've started this podcast to give a voice to moms with chronic illness. And right now, our voice is talking about cancer. Today, I'm talking to Diana Sloan. She has been dealing with colon cancer for six years. She is currently in treatment, and she says she spends her free time making memories with her family, and I think that is awesome. She's also active in the colorectal cancer community, and she's the blog manager for the Colon Club, which is an all-volunteer advocacy group, and I'll have links to that in the show notes and online so you can check it out. Today, Diana's going to talk to me about talking to our kids about our diagnosis, specifically cancer, how she's done that and kept them up to date with everything that's happening with her and why she believes that that's important. And I'll let you know that I do too. So without further ado, here she is. Hi, Diana. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you for having me. I had found you looking at a, another podcast called We Have Cancer. And what really hit me was that you were talking about how to talk to your kids about cancer because a lot of the people that we've been talking to say when you're sick, you should talk to your kids, but we haven't addressed really how to talk to your kids. And what I love about what you're doing is you're talking to them every step of the way. So we'll start with what kind of cancer do you have? Um, I have a stage four colorectal cancer. Okay. And, and going back to the beginning, how did you find out that you had cancer? Okay. Well, when you're dealing with colorectal cancer, just to warn everybody, it's always a TMI uh, moment, but it's okay, really that's fine. to talk about it. Um, I had noticed uh, some blood in my stool um, in around 2010, and I had mentioned something to a doctor and, you know, my daughter was only about a year old and uh, he told me it was probably hemorrhoids. Well, I went with that you know, because I'd had them as when I was pregnant. And then about two years later, I was getting um, my middle daughter ready for kindergarten. I was just walking through the house and felt like I passed gas and blood just poured out of me. So I went to the ER and um, within a couple of weeks, I had a colonoscopy and they found a mass. That's how it started. Wow. See, and, and you are not the first one who has said they had a problem. They went to the doctor and the doctor just kind of blew it off. Well, um, when it comes to colorectal cancer, everybody has this image. And even in the medical profession, because that's the way they have been taught for so long, that this is a disease that affects people that are 50 and older. And people would think of men, not necessarily women. But there has been an alarming increase in uh, colorectal cancer diagnosis in people under 50. I am aware of a little girl that 
is 11, as a matter of fact, that is dealing with stage four colon cancer. So it's definitely something that people don't think about, but are starting to recognize there's definitely something going on and we need to pay attention to it. Yeah. I had somebody very, very close to me pass away at 35 from colon cancer. So who it's something that hits home with me and my family. So yeah. And, 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 you know, people, like you said, you know, people just kind of don't pay attention to it because they don't think it could be happening to them. But so I know it, it is a TMI kind of thing, but did you have this bleeding somewhat through those two years or did it just happen that once? Oh, I, it, it was noticeable enough. Like it had been happening consistently. That's why I mentioned it. Um, so yeah, it kept, going the entire time. And, you know, when you hear something that you want to hear, uh, and I was a different person back then. I didn't advocate or push, you know, because I just, I didn't think to do it. Um, but it was definitely a lesson learned. And a lot of people, this same thing happens to them with that, age, especially with this age group, because you're just too young and people continue to say it. Um, and I think people are embarrassed to talk about it, you know, um, like for breast cancer, God love all of our, our brothers and sisters that have that. Um, it's not taboo to talk about it anymore, but for some reason, you know, you start talking about your guts and all of that digestive stuff and people just are like, yeah, I'm not quite comfortable with that. So hopefully people are becoming more comfortable and will speak up and push and, you know, don't take no for an answer. If you have a problem, you know, you have a problem. First doctor doesn't listen to you. Find another doctor. Okay. Yeah, that's real. I think that's really good advice. That is, you're the second interview that has said that exact same thing. So, <laughs> there we go. Um, okay. So, um, so what kind of treatment have you gone through for this cancer? Um, I have had five surgeries. Um, I have had chemotherapy off and on since uh, early 2013. I've done uh, five and a half weeks of radiation with chemo. I've done every single FDA approved drug that there is, and I'm recycling old chemo now, um, which is keeping me stable. And if that uh, stops working, then I move on to um, trials and different types of therapies that may help me out. Okay. Okay. So to get back to your kids, when you initially found out, did you decide to tell your family right away? How did that, how did the thought process go there? Um, well, I was, uh, I had the colonoscopy in early December and, um, it was kind of weird because like the first biopsy was no, um, it came back negative, even though the guy that did the colonoscopy straight out told my husband, if it wasn't cancer, he'd be shocked. So there was a little delay. Um, I had a surgery in that January after, and, uh, that came back, all the pathology came back as cancer. So once that occurred, we decided to talk to the kids about it. Um, and it was pretty soon after because I didn't want them to not understand when I started treatment, why I felt bad. So my husband, and I sat down with them and, uh, Brie was three at the time. Gabby was five and Maria was 13 years old. Um, Maria 
also uh, has Asperger's. Um, so because the other two were so young and we also didn't want to, you know, scare Maria, we kept it on very simple terms and basically just told them that I had cancer and basically what it was is it was something that was growing in my body that wasn't supposed to be. So I had to have surgery to get some of it out. And now I was going to have to do chemo, which would make me sick. So there would be days where I'd have to rest and I wouldn't be able to do the things that I normally do. And we kind of left it at that, at that point, because at that point we only thought I was stage three and, uh, you know, we were approaching it as, you know, we're going to do this, you know, six months will be good to go. You know, everything will be okay. Um, so we didn't want to give them an overload of information from the beginning. So I like that. So they, but so they knew, you know, they heard the word, which so many people are afraid to say the word and had an idea, but you didn't, yeah, because I think too much information, too many little tiny details they just get overwhelmed with that. And then they don't really understand the big concept sometimes. So that's, yes, that's right. Really um, so, so I, I had read about, about you that you liked that you tell them every time you have a scan or anything, what's yes. happening with that. Yes. So, so they know, as you know, what's, what's happening with your body. Absolutely. So uh, we, oh, I want them to ever feel like, um, I lied to them because I think that's important because no matter what happens, I don't want them to ever feel like I had no idea that this was going to happen. I didn't know that this was coming. This doesn't make sense because so many times we want to tell our children, everything's going to be okay. And none of the situation is okay. You know, it's scary. It's big, you know, for their lives. This is a huge thing that affects them all the time, whether we want to acknowledge that or not. So honesty was the best approach for me because I want them to know that they can be honest with me too, and that I'm not trying to hide anything. And I don't want them to hide things from me either. Well, that's really, that's such a good attitude. And it's, it's got to be so hard sometimes to have those conversations. It is because we always want to protect them. But I think sometimes we protect our children too much. And then they just don't have the ability to cope sometimes with what comes. And when you're dealing with cancer, the what could come could, is so scary and daunting and just, you know, your children's biggest fear. And at the same time, it's your biggest fear too, because you don't want, you don't want to leave your children, but I also don't want them to think that, you know, there's nothing, nothing good is going to come after this because my mom is gone. And I think the more I prepare them, Yes, of course, it's going to, it will be terrible. It'll hurt, but it won't be such a, a shock to their system. There'll be some, hopefully a little bit of peace and acceptance growing in them along the way. So, so you talked about when you told them you were at stage three, how long ago was that? 
Um, that was in 2013, okay. uh, January 2013. All right. So you've been dealing this with this for a long time. So when did you find yes. out that you, well, how did they respond when you first talked to them? Um, they were, you know, they were sad. Um, Gabby and Bree, I don't think had really heard much about cancer, you know, before then. Um, Maria was familiar with it because of health class. And, um, you know, that was, that was a little, that was a little scary for her, of course, because she had an understanding of what it was. And with her, you know, she just, she just wanted it to not be true. And she accepted it though, but she didn't talk about it very much. Now with Gabby and Brie, Gabby um, was in school. So it was a little easy for her, easier for her. Brie was home with me. So she had a little bit uh, different experience. And I actually was able to kind of associate stuff with her. Like for instance, um, when I guess it was uh, Good Morning America, Robin was going through her treatment and she didn't have hair and things like that. And that was, had, was on when I was starting everything. And I talked to Brie and just be like, you know, I might lose my hair like that. What do you think about that? I was like, cause you know, the treatments might do that to me. And she just said, you know, Oh, I love you anyway, mommy, even if you're bald. So I tried to make little associations that she could understand and just, let her know that, you know, when mommy's sick and everything, you know, you can just, you can rest with me just to kind of ease her into it because, you know, she's three. What does she really understand? But the funny thing about her is she was so, she's always been so in tune with everything. I would have to wear a pump for 48 hours and a home health nurse came to our house to disconnect the pump every time I got off of it. And it's like, she knew she would get upset and she's like, I want the nurse to leave. She's hurting mommy. You know, it's like, she knew that this was stuff that was, you know, not making me feel good. And it was had to do with cancer and she just wanted it gone. So the level of understanding when they're that young is a little surprising. Um, but yeah, you just had to kind of make associations that they can understand on their level versus trying to, I guess, over explain it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It does. So how, okay. So did have, did you go through a period where the cancer was gone, where it seemed to be completely gone? And yes, we thought, um, I had done chemo, I did radiation and chemo and I had, um, it's, let me, let me go back just a little bit. I found out I was stage four, like six months later. Um, there was a scan that had showed possible hepatic metastasis. And unfortunately the doctors I had at the time, uh, told me it was just cyst and not to worry, which seemed to be a trend. Don't worry. You're too young. Don't worry. It's that this. And, um, I ended up having a later scan and they had grown and I demanded a biopsy. And so, I found out in June of 2013, that was stage four. So we moved because my husband was in the army a lot. So I switched doctors again. And this doctor threw like everything at me, including the kitchen sink. 
and he got, um, I had two liver tumors, which was what made me stage four. And they shrunk down enough that I had, um, two liver resections, just spread them out. So I'd have enough liver to survive. And I went on maintenance chemo. And at that point we thought that I was cancer free, but it turned out, I found out in a colonoscopy a little bit, um, in 2015, a little bit later that I had another tumor in my colon and then a scan showed that I had metastasis in my lungs. And that's when I became stage four, um, incurable. And that realization, uh, I guess that was like June of 2015. So there was about a year there where I thought I was good and I was still, you know, doing maintenance chemo. So I wasn't out of treatment. Um, just to make sure nothing else popped up, but then everything changed that year. So when you found out you had stage four, how did the, how did the kids handle that? How did, how was that conversation? I know this is so painful for me to ask you these questions. Um, And the only reason I'm doing it is because I know there's so many people that are so afraid to talk. They're so afraid to talk, but they want to know, especially if they're going through cancer, right? How are other people dealing with this? Because nobody's talking about it. If you don't want to answer, you don't have oh, to. Oh, no, it's fine. Um, when I initially found out I was stage four, um, of course, I was terrified. And I wanted to get up and settle where my husband's new duty station was because I was staying with my parents briefly while he was switching between duty stations. And um, when I met my new doctor, um, I loved him. One of the you know best experiences I've ever had with a medical professional. And the way he presented it to me was, there's a couple weeds in your garden, and it's very possible that we can pull those weeds out and the garden's going to be fine. (laughs) And so what we did then is we basically told the kids, Hey, there were some tumors. There was some cancer in mommy's liver. And so we've got to treat that so we can cut that stuff out. And that was about it, you know, very just, you know, short and to the point. And then I would tell them, you know, when I was going in for surgeries and stuff like that. And so that was pretty simplistic. Um, when it got more difficult was when we realized that it was in my lungs. Because at that point, um, surgery, you know, is was not an option with the doctors that I'm seeing right now. And... Um, there is a possibility, you know, that I can, you know, try to get opinions elsewhere to see if that would be different, but it's systemic now. And so that was when they were just going to start treating it to keep it from spreading and growing. So that was a different conversation. Um, I had to tell them that um, I wasn't going to be able to get it all cut out and we had to just do medicine to keep it from changing. And that was hard for them because they wanted to know why they couldn't cut it out anymore. Why, you know, why can't they do this? And uh, I had to explain to them that it was just uh, spread out too much. So we had to do more chemo to just keep it there. 
So that was a hard time for all of us because I had a lot of trouble getting back to being positive because I was having the um, realization that there was a good chance. I mean, there was always this chance and I always had this in the back of my mind, but this was making it more concrete that cancer was probably going to end my life at some point. And uh, they were more afraid, I think, than they have been. And they're also older because this was 2015. So Brie was six, Gabby was eight, and Maria was about to turn uh, 16. So she was 15 when I told her this. So it's a different conversation when they're older because they understand so much more. And my two youngest, they basically don't remember a time where I wasn't sick. So it was a lot harder conversation and the kids I could see were starting to get more scared because before it was easier to say that I was going to, you know, be okay. Now it's just, they had to accept that I, I have it. It's not going anywhere. So much more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just tough. I know um, I'm on a BiPAP that breathes for me at night and then sometimes I have to be on it during the daytime. And so my kids understand, you know, mom cannot breathe sometimes on her own and it's scary. You know, they've seen me, I spend the week in a week in a hospital, you know, every once in a while going through all this stuff to try to make sure that I stay breathing. And, and I know my son has nightmares and he's constantly, Apparently talking to my, his older siblings about mommy's going to die. Mommy's going to die. You know, he's petrified. Mommy's going to die. And so I know as someone who's dealing with something like that, it's, it's just so hard. You know, it's, it's hard because you want to reassure them and you want to help them, but it's just such, it's, it's just painful. So it's, it's very difficult for me to talk to you right now, but, but I think this, it's a conversation that needs to happen because there's a lot of us, whether it's cancer or, or muscular dystrophy or whatever somebody has that unfortunately, you know, these are conversations that need to be had with each other. um, I think with each other before with our kids so that, you know, we know how people are handling it, how our kids are handling it. Um, You know, I know for a long time I tried to, to hide it, but that didn't work. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you're on a machine that breathes for you, it's hard to tell your kids you're going to be just fine. Yeah. Kids are very in tune. I don't think we give them enough credit sometimes. And like you said, you want to hide it because you want to protect them. But at the same time, for me, I was just wondering, you know, what good, is it really going to do in the long run? Because they're observant. They're going to know that something's not right. So I just, uh, I didn't want to take that route. And my children, my youngest talks to me uh, most about it, but all of them have expressed their fears that I'm going to die to me. And my youngest one, I think it's been the toughest on her. And I actually wrote about a conversation that I had with her and that um, is what prompted the other um, podcast interview. And I promised her that um, I would let her know 
if my life, um, it was apparent that um, I was going to die from cancer. And making that promise to her was really, really difficult um, because you're trying to soothe fears, but at the same time, you're not trying to give unrealistic expectations. And so, you know, we talked about the normal stuff, you know, that even though I'm not here, love goes on. It's cliche. Love never dies, but it's true. And um, it's important that we focused on making memories and experiences because those are the things where you look back and you laugh or you smile or you think about something, you know, just super fun or super silly. And you can fall back on that to remember that, you know, yes, this is terrible, but gosh, life was full of some really amazing moments. And I also felt that it's um, been important and I've, talk to my kids about this. And I specifically talked to Brie about this that day that, um, the worst thing that could happen that is like my greatest fear is that my children lose their mother and then they're stuck and they forget about all the joy and good and just amazing adventures that life can bring them because they're focusing on the fact that their mother didn't get that future with them. And, you know, it's hard to talk about and it's hard to um, explain it to a child in a way that they're not just going to walk away from it being super upset and just waiting, you know, for that time to happen. I don't want my death to rob them of their joy. I want them to reach for every dream, every opportunity, you know, travel, you know, grasp every moment, live it to the fullest. And please don't let me not being there. Keep them from doing that. And that I think is my biggest fear as a parent and why I feel like it's important to be honest, because if I don't remind them of these things and tell them these things, Are they, you know, am I being the best mom that I can be to them and sending them off with the wisdom that I would have been giving them if I was around, you know, later when they're more grown up. So that's why I take this approach. It's as much for me as it is for them because I don't want to leave this world feeling like I didn't prepare them to be amazing wonderful adults that I can see in them already at this age. That is so many, like I am. Ah, okay. I am so glad that we're talking. I think this is really good for other people to hear as hard as it is to say, because I think, you know, that's the thing. And I think that's what I worry about too, is that the grief will be so strong Um, And the guilt that they get to do things that we don't will be strong. And so we don't want them to, but we don't want that. We just, we want them to be happy. Yep. We want them to celebrate the time they had with us and keep celebrating their own life. And that is. And that's how we go on is when they do that. Right. Exactly. You know, and just like, you know, um, 
because I spend a lot of time in bed. I'm, I'm in bed probably about 20 hours a day right now, at least. And, um, you know, my daughter will say, you know, I feel bad that I get to go do these things. And I'm like, no, no, no. You know, I want you to go do these things. Um, I've got a daughter that lives in Washington, DC. And I know sometimes she feels really bad because she's far. But, you know, I said, you know, I, and I homeschooled my kids. I said, but I taught you and I, de- I devoted my whole life to doing this so that you could all learn and grow and then pursue the life you wanted. So yes, it's hard for you to be far, especially when I don't feel well and all that stuff, but you're doing exactly what I hope for you. Yeah. You know? And so is that, is that a little bit hard for me to have her be far? Yes. But is it beautiful that she's pursuing the life, this amazing life that she can have? Absolutely. And that, I mean, what mom wouldn't want for that. So yeah, that's all we want. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. So how old are you? Because you keep talking about how young you are for this kind of cancer and everyone keeps saying it. I'm 43. Um, and I was diagnosed when I was 38 years old. Okay. So yeah, I am too young for it. But uh, according to every, you know, all the doctors, but nope, you're never too young for colorectal cancer. Uh, never. And uh one thing that I do now, um, because I was uh, previously a teacher, but what I do now when I'm not, you know, fulfilling soccer mom duties and, you know, running all my kids to classes and stuff, uh, I do advocacy work and um, try to, uh, I've gone to Capitol Hill um, with fight uh, colorectal cancer um, to ask for more funding and lowering screening ages. And I work with um, other colorectal cancer communities like uh, the Colon Club, um, Colorectal Cancer Alliance, Colon Town. Um, I just try to make sure that, you know, I'm trying to do something proactive to help other people avoid the situation I'm in because there are too many young parents that are uh, being lost and uh, to this disease and leaving families behind and having to deal with the same thing that you and I are both dealing with. So I think uh, the more, the more I uh, share my story and the more uh, aware people are, the you're going to see this disease start to decrease in um, younger people, or at least them being diagnosed early instead of late like me. Right. So, so here's a question. So you're talking about doing these things and, and being a soccer mom and all that, and your husband's in the army. So does he ever deploy? Um, he is now medically retired from the army. Um, he retired in 2015. Uh, he actually, uh, and we moved to Texas and he was down here for his new job actually. And I was still up in the DC area when I found out that I had the new colon tumor and I had the metastatic spread um, of my original rectal cancer. Uh, so now that uh, he is out of the military, it is much easier. But yes, he did have to um, go in the field some. We were very fortunate that he, after my diagnosis, he was not deployed. Um, he was deployed. I went up. I definitely had cancer at the time, but I didn't know it. Right. So um, being in the field for, you know, maybe a month at a time or being gone for a few weeks, that was about all um, we had to deal with. 
while he was in the military, but now actually with his job, he does have to travel a little bit. And, uh, I have a pretty incredible support system that, um, helped me out and, uh, people, friends that I've made here that, that, you know, are always like, you know, if you need me, I'm here. Um, I have some family in the area and both of my parents, uh, come out here and help out as well. Oh, that's amazing. Cause that was going to be my question. You know, how do you get this all done on the days that you're not feeling good? Um, you know, it's a struggle. It's become more of a struggle recently. Um, sometimes I have to just push through and, you know, I might have to carry a bag with me in the car just in case. Um, but, uh, my husband and, uh, my cousin and my family, they kind of, they pick up the slack and some of my friends as well. Um, that I've made, they'll, you know, carpool my kids and people are always very willing to help. I'm very, very fortunate to have a lot of generous, amazing people in my life. That's awesome. Well, that's really good. Um, so what advice would you give a mom who's just been diagnosed? Um, I guess my advice would be, you know, you know, your children best, you know, what they can understand, what they can handle. Um, Don't underestimate them. And don't think that um, you have to protect them from all of it. I know you want to protect them from, you know, the hurt and the pain, but be honest with your kids and let them know, even if it's on the simplest terms, you know, mommy or daddy is sick. Um, we, you know, there's going to have, there's going to be some changes, you know, going to be tired. I'm not going to be able to, you know, do all the things we normally do. And I just need you to be patient with me when that happens. Um, and then based on the age of your children, decide how much detail you want to give because you don't want to scare them, but you also don't want to leave them in the dark because kids are so perceptive, way more perceptive than adults give them credit for, I think sometimes. And they know, they know something's off. They know something's wrong. So in my personal opinion, I think we owe it to them to give them the credit they deserve, give them the information that will explain to them why things are so weird and then decide where you want to go from there. I think that is really, really good advice. Um, and my one thing is no one is super mom. Like the super mom thing kills me, but we all do have one thing that we're awesome at. And I think it's sometimes we, <clears throat> it's sometimes it's hard to see it in ourselves, but we all have a superpower. What would your superpower be? I don't know. That's a tough one. Um, I guess my superpower would be try uh, the ability to push through sometimes and do the things that need to be done. Even when all you want to do is crawl back in bed, get under the covers. And in my case, snuggle with my dog. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Unless sarcasm is a superpower because I'm definitely uh, good with that. But (laughs) yeah, just, you know, pushing through and trying to give as much of yourself as you can while you can and when you can. That's about it. I don't, 
like you said, I, I don't see myself as a superhero or anything like that. I'm just, I'm just somebody that wants to be here as long as possible and leave a little something in this world that somebody can take with them and it might help them in some way, shape or form down the road. That's about it. That's awesome. Well, I think we will end it on that. And uh, thank you again for talking to me about some tough things. I really, really appreciate it. And um, I hope that you feel well. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And I wish the same to you. Thank you so much for joining me for this incredible episode. I actually had to step away from it for a few minutes because I've been tearing up a lot of the afternoon and come back to do this part. This has been a lot to take in. And if you're listening and it's touched you, I encourage you to reach out. I've got a way to contact Diana in the show notes as well as myself. This is a conversation that is so tough. It's tough for me. It's tough for Diana. And it's tough for the millions of moms that are going through something similar. But if we don't reach out and talk to each other about it, it makes us so much more painful for everybody. You're not alone in dealing with whatever you're dealing with. There are millions of us out here. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing this. I want to bring us together because every time we talk about these things, it will get a little bit easier and we can help each other and give us, give each other ideas on how to get through these things, right? Because when you're doing it alone, it's a lot harder. So thank you again for joining me. If you want to join me, I am creating an amazing social group on my website. It's jenhardy.net. We are about to launch. But if you want to find out exactly when that happens, you can go to our group on Facebook. We're Chronically Positive Moms, which is chronically because we're chronic positive because in spite of how much this might stink, we are working on focus on the positive and we're moms. So join me there and you'll be notified when this new project launches because it is going to be phenomenal. And again, thank you for being with me today. My music is A New Day by Scott Holmes. And I look forward to talking to you next week.